Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. What a blessing it is to be able to be together on this Lord's Day to worship God and study from his word together. I'm so happy to see all of you who are here this morning. I am especially happy to be back in the valley with our Monta Vista Church family here. Many of you know that we were away in East Texas last week celebrating the Thanksgiving holiday with family. We had a wonderful time, had a marvelous time with family in East Texas, but it is especially good to be back with our family here at Monta Vista. And I hope and pray that you also were able to spend some time with family last week and that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. As we begin our study this morning from God's Word, I want to begin by asking you a question. And my question this morning is this. My question is, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready this week to begin reading the book of Philippians? I don't know about you, my dear friends, but I am super excited. To begin reading the book of Philippians this week as a church family. I absolutely love the book of Philippians. In fact, since the month of January, when we first rolled out this Bible reading schedule, I have been eagerly looking forward to this portion of the schedule. You see, in many ways, this church that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to, this church in Philippi, in many ways, this was Paul's favorite church. This was his most loved church. This was a church that had a very special place in his heart. In fact, we can actually read about Paul planting this church in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, if you remember, after forbidding the apostle Paul from traveling to Bithynia to preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit led Paul here. He led Paul to Macedonia. He led Paul to the city of Philippi. The city of Philippi was in the region of Macedonia. And at this particular time, in the time of the Apostle Paul, the city wasn't a very large city. There were only about 15 or 16,000 people who lived in this city. That is small in comparison to cities like Athens and Ephesus and Corinth and Thessalonica. In fact, if you remember, there wasn't even a Jewish synagogue there. You got to have at least 10 Jewish men to have a Jewish synagogue. And Acts chapter 16 and verse 13 tells us that when the apostle Paul arrived in Philippi, he didn't find a bunch of Jewish men gathered together to worship God. Instead, what he found was a bunch of women. He found a bunch of women worshiping God by river. And he went to those women and he preached the gospel to those women. And one of them named Lydia along with her whole household, obeyed the gospel, and they became Christians. They became followers of Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul wasn't allowed by God to go to Bithynia because God wanted him here. He wanted him in Macedonia. He wanted him to plant a church in the city of Philippi. In fact, as I stated before, this church would go on to be his favorite church. It would go on to be a church that had a very special place in his heart and a church that loved him and encouraged him. And for a time, it was the only church that was supporting him financially in the cause of the gospel. This is a remarkable congregation 
of God's people. And this week, we're going to begin reading the letter that Paul wrote to them. This week, we're going to begin reading Paul's letter to the Philippians. In fact, beyond just reading the letter to the Philippians, I also hope that we're going to be challenged by this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. I hope we're going to be challenged by Philippians. I hope we're going to be challenged to be better Christians by Philippians. Specifically, I hope we're going to be challenged to be better servants by reading Philippians. This thing is not moving right here. I've been clicking this thing like 50 times and it hadn't moved yet. And so while we try to figure that out, I'm going to ask you to go in your Bible to Philippians chapter one. Will you go in your Bible, please, to Philippians chapter one? Hopefully this thing will unfreeze in just a moment. If it doesn't, no big deal. We'll keep going. But the first thing I want you to notice here is the book of Philippians is going to challenge us to be better servants of the Lord, better servants of the Lord and better servants of one another. You see, the church in Philippi was like a lot of congregations during the time of the first century Roman Empire, like every other congregation during that time, the church in Philippi also wasn't a perfect church. It wasn't a perfect church. It wasn't a church that was without flaws and problems. In fact, one of the problems in this church was it seemed to have been full of Christians who were selfish. And they seem to have been a little self-centered and in competition with each other. In fact, if you remember in chapter 4, Paul tells us about two women in that church who didn't like each other. They were not working in harmony in the Lord together. There was a lot of selfishness and competition among these brethren. And the Apostle Paul throughout this letter is going to give them some sound scriptural advice to help them overcome this problem. And so in Philippians chapter one, in Philippians chapter one, look with me at verse number 21. In Philippians chapter one and verse number 21, the apostle Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse number 22, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is very much better. Do you see Paul's mindset at this particular time? Do you see at this point, at this point in Paul's life, Paul says that as he was writing this letter, he was betwixt. He, he says that he was conflicted. He says that while his main desire was to depart and be in the spiritual realm with Jesus Christ, a big part of him also wanted to keep on living. He wanted to keep on living in the flesh. He wanted to keep being on this earth. Question, why would Paul want to remain on the earth? Why would Paul want to keep on living? Why would he want to keep dwelling in a world that, that was full of sin and wickedness and, and that was persecuting him at this time because he was a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, Paul gives us the answer in verse 24. In verse 24, Paul says, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for what? For your sake. There's the answer. You see the answer there? That's why Paul wanted to keep living. That's why he wanted to remain in this life. The reason why Paul wanted to keep on living wasn't because he loved the world and he loved being part of the world. No, he wanted to stick around so he could serve. So he could serve the Philippians. 
so he could serve them in the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. Here, the Apostle Paul uses himself as an example or a model of a servant. And then in the next chapter, in chapter two, he transitions and he uses Jesus. He uses Jesus as the ultimate Example of a servant in Philippians chapter two, verses one through 11. Paul says that when it came to Jesus, Jesus emptied himself. He emptied himself for me. He emptied himself for you. He emptied himself of his position and his status and his equality with God, the father to come into this world, live as a man and be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Question, why is Paul telling us all that stuff about Jesus? Why is he giving us all that information? Why is he rehearsing with us all of these amazing truths about Jesus, stuff that we can read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? I mean, is the Apostle Paul going through all that information about Jesus simply to give us a history lesson? Is he simply trying to give us a bunch of facts? Is he simply trying to help us become more thankful and appreciative of all the Lord did for us at Calvary? I submit to you that he is not. He is not. That is not why Paul has given us that information. You see, while Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11 can certainly help us become more informed and educated and thankful and even more appreciative of all the Lord has done for us in the context of this book. The reason why Paul is mentioning all that stuff about Jesus is because he's using him as an example. He's using him as a model. He's using him as an illustration. He is using him to motivate us to be servants like Jesus was a servant. That's why Paul says in verse number two of chapter two, he says in verse two, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Maintain the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. That's what he says in verse number three, do nothing from selfishness. Or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's why he says in verse number four, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. That's why he says in verse number five, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Notice how according to the Apostle Paul, it's not enough to just believe in Jesus. It's not enough to just be able to recite a bunch of, of facts about him or to be in awe of him or to even gather with a bunch of other Christians on Sunday to worship him and his father. While we certainly need to do all of those things, according to Paul, true and authentic discipleship, it also requires striving to be like him. We got to be like Jesus. We got to have a mind like Jesus. We got to be humble like him, selfless, sacrificial, willing to put the needs of other people even before our own needs. That's why Paul is mentioning all that stuff about Jesus. That's what Paul is challenging us to do. And let's just be honest about it. Doing what Paul is talking about there, that's not easy. That's not easy. Being humble, that's not easy. 
Being selfless and sacrificial, that's not easy. Being willing to put the needs of other people before my own needs, that's not easy. The easy thing to do in life is focus on, was focus on me. It's focus on what I want and me getting my way. It's focus on my ego and my selfish ambition and get mad and jealous and bitter and resentful when I'm not acknowledged and complimented and put on a pedestal by other people. That's the easy path to take in life. But Philippians is going to challenge us to not take the easy path. It's going to challenge us to take the difficult path. It's going to challenge us. To not be like the world and of the world, but instead be like and think like Jesus. Be a servant like Jesus. Be the kind of person who is willing to take the focus off of myself and put it on other people. Think, think about other people. Open my eyes here at Monta Vista and look around and be attentive to the needs of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Be willing to help my brothers and sisters in Christ. Be willing to do things like sit in a hospital waiting room with a Christian family while someone they love has a surgery. Be, be willing to attend a funeral so I can grieve and comfort a brother or sister in Christ. Be willing to take a sick brother or sister a meal or clean their house, or wash their clothes, or sacrifice my home, or my time, or my car, or my money to help somebody in my spiritual family who's in need. That's how the book of Philippians is going to challenge us. The book of Philippians is going to challenge us to be servants and to have the mindset of a servant like Jesus had, but not only will it challenge us to be servants, a second way it's going to challenge us is it's going to challenge us to focus on heavenly citizenship. Heavenly citizenship. Will you go in your Bible, please, to Philippians chapter 3? I want to show you something in Philippians chapter 3, please. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse number 20, in Philippians chapter 3, in verse number 20, the Apostle Paul says this about Christians. He says, for our citizenship, see that word citizenship, for our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Now, I want you to notice a key word there in that text, verse 20. That word citizenship. You see that word citizenship? We use that word citizenship a lot even in our culture today, but during this particular time, it would have really stood out to the Philippians. That word would have really stood out to the Philippian brethren. You see, because this, the city of Philippi at this time has special Roman status in the empire, many of the people who lived in Philippi, they took great pride in their Roman citizenship. They took great pride in being a Roman. They took great pride in the Roman culture and the privileges that came with living in a city that at this particular time was kind of viewed as a mini version of Rome. And I think we see this in the book of Acts. We go in your Bible, please keep your finger in Philippians. We'll come back there. But if you go to Acts, the 16th chapter, remember, I made reference earlier to the time when Paul went to Philippi and he preached the gospel to a bunch of women who were worshiping God by a river. And he converted Lydia and her whole household. 
where after that takes place, the apostle Paul is going to later cast a demon out of a servant girl in Philippi. He's going to cast a demon out of her by the power of God and her owners, her masters don't like what the apostle Paul did because he was messing up their money. And so in Acts the 16th chapter in verse number 19, in verse 19, after Paul cast this demon out of this girl, it says that when her master saw that, the hope of, that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. Verse 20 says that when they brought them to the chief magistrates, they said these men, talking about Paul and Silas, are throwing our city into confusion being Jews and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or observe being what? Being Romans. Notice the charge they bring against Paul and Silas on this occasion. Notice they're upset with Paul and Silas, not because they're breaking the laws of Macedonia. Not because they're breaking the laws of even the city of Philippi. No, they are upset because in their minds, Paul and Silas are not doing things the Roman way. They're not following the Roman customs. They are proclaiming things that go against their way of life as Roman citizens. You see, people from Philippi at this time took great pride in their Roman citizenship. And in Philippians chapter three, Paul says some things that challenges that thinking. He challenges that mentality. He talks about a citizenship that is even more valuable than Roman citizenship, and that's heavenly citizenship. That's being a citizen of where God is and where Jesus is. Many of you know, in fact, the vast majority of you know that I come from Texas. I come from Texas, and I'm going to tell you all something. Outside of maybe New York, you're going to be hard-pressed to find people with more pride than people that come, that come from Texas. That's just a fact. People from Texas have a lot of pride from coming from that state. But according to the Apostle Paul, being a citizen of heaven, that's more important than coming from Texas. That's more important than being an Arizonian. That is even more important than being a citizen of the United States of America. And that's something we need to remember when next November rolls around and the guy we vote for to be in the White House may lose. That's something we need to remember whenever we're tempted to post divisive political memes on, on Facebook or other social media platforms. That's something we need to remember whenever we start getting anxious and worried about the stuff that's going on in Israel right now or whenever we start observing our culture getting further and further away from God and we start getting really, really down about that. While there's nothing wrong with being angry about the sin being promoted in our culture and while there's nothing wrong with having pride in being an American or a Texan or even an Arizonian, the book of Philippians is going to challenge us to prioritize heavenly citizenship above anything else. It is going to challenge us to not forget where our true home is as Christians and to use each and every day as an opportunity to move closer and closer to our real home. Philippians is going to challenge us to be servants. And it's going to challenge us to focus on heavenly citizenship. And another way in which it's going to challenge us is it's going to challenge us to live each day with joy. 
Leave, live each day with joy and, and great happiness. In fact, the thread of joy and happiness is a theme that kind of just weaves its way all throughout this book. You know that, don't you? I want to show you several examples of this in addition to the scriptures you got on the slide there. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 1, and let's just kind of blitz through this if you don't mind. In, in, in Philippians chapter 1, I want to show you several scriptures here. In Philippians chapter 1 in verse number 4, in Philippians 1 in verse 4, after the Apostle Paul talks about how he was so thankful for the Philippians, he says there in verse 4, always offering prayer with joy, with joy in my every prayer for you all. I want to ask you to drop down to verse number 18 now, please. In chapter 1 in verse 18, he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, the proclamation of Jesus, I rejoice, Paul says. I want to ask you to go to chapter chapter two. Well, look at verse 25 first. I don't want to miss verse number 25 of chapter one. Chapter one, verse 25. Remember, in the first few verses there, we read that earlier, verses 21 through 24. Paul talks about how he wanted to remain alive so he could serve his brethren. Well, in verse 25, he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Now look at chapter 2 and verse 2. And chapter 2 and verse 2, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the spirit, intent on one purpose. Drop down to verse 18 of that chapter. Verse 18, you too, I urge you, rejoice. Rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Look at chapter 4, and verse 1. Chapter 4, and verse 1 says, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Not sometimes rejoice in the Lord always again. I will say rejoice. Verse number 10, verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. You see all the way through, see throughout the letter, you see it. It's all over the place. Over and over again, Paul talks about joy. He talks about rejoicing. He talks about Christians being happy despite their circumstances. I'm going to tell you something. That is a powerful message. Coming from a man like the Apostle Paul, because at that particular time when he was writing that, you know what was going on in his life? He was in jail. He's in jail. The book of Philippians is commonly referred to as one of the prison epistles, right? By prison epistles, we mean that when the Apostle Paul wrote Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon, he was writing those letters from a jail cell. He doesn't have his freedom. He's being persecuted at this time because he was a preacher of the gospel. This man is writing about joy. Even though he is stuck in a jail cell. And you know what that shows us? You know what that shows me? That shows me that having joy is a choice. That's a choice. That's a choice I have to make. 
And that's a choice you have to make. Despite how bad our circumstance and life might be, we still should choose to have joy. We still should choose to rejoice. We still should choose to be the happiest people on the planet. Why should we as Christians be the happiest people on the planet? Well, how about we start with this? How about we start because we have heavenly citizenship? How about we also start with the fact that because we have a relationship with the Lord and we've had our sins washed away and forgiven by the blood of Jesus. How about we also mention the fact that we should rejoice because we have the truth and we have each other and we are blessed to be in the presence of God at all times. How about we choose to rejoice because of the example of the Apostle Paul? I mean, Paul says throughout this letter he has joy, but the question is, why does he have joy? What is Paul so happy about as he sits in a jail cell? Well, as we read the book of Philippians, my friends, you know what we're going to learn? We're going to learn that the apostle Paul rejoiced when he learned about spiritual progress. He rejoiced when he learned about the advancement of the gospel and the faithfulness of brothers and sisters in Christ and the opportunities he had even in jail to do evangelism and serve others. And when he realized that the people of God had their names written and recorded in the Lamb's book of life, that's the kind of stuff that helped Paul have joy despite his circumstances. And that challenges me. That challenges me. That challenges me in a powerful way. That challenges Sean Jeffries to check my attitude. That challenges me to focus on the right kinds of things. That challenges me to avoid being like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh and avoid being pessimistic and negative all the time and to find joy in the things that really matter in life. And that's the things of God. That's how we're going to be challenged by Philippians. We're going to be challenged to be servants. And we're going to be challenged to focus on heavenly citizenship and we're going to be challenged to live our lives with joy. And then finally, I just want to say this. We're also going to be challenged to grow. To grow spiritually. And doesn't that go, doesn't that go with our theme this year as a congregation, the idea of growth, growing spiritually? This book's going to help us with that. And so I want to ask you to go to one more place in your Bible, Philippians chapter 3. Look at Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to start with verse number 7. This is a great chapter, Philippians chapter 3, after the Apostle Paul talks about all the things that he had accomplished in Judaism before he became a Christian. He says in verse number 7 of Philippians chapter 3, in Philippians 3, verse number 7, he says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him. He says it again, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul wants to know about the resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul wants to share in the sufferings of Christ being conformed to his death in order that I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Paul wants to be raised from the dead. He's looking forward to the day of resurrection. And then in verse 12, he says, not 
that have already obtained it or have already become perfect. I got that word perfect highlighted in my Bible, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, there that word is again, have this attitude, and if anything you have a different, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. I want you to notice the word perfect. That word perfect is found in verse 12. And it's found in verse 15. Paul says that at the time he was writing that letter, as an apostle, he had not achieved perfection. He says, I'm not perfect. Now that word perfect, listen to me carefully here, because a lot of people get off track right here. That word perfect that Paul uses there, doesn't mean sinless perfection. It doesn't mean being sinlessly perfect like Jesus was sinlessly perfect. Instead, that word perfect that Paul uses here and throughout the New Testament means maturity. It's the idea of spiritual maturity. Here Paul is saying in the context that, that despite his spiritual credentials, Despite who he was and what he had accomplished and even his impressive background in Judaism, despite the fact that he was an apostle and he has seen the risen Savior on the Damascus Road and he was directly inspired by the Holy Spirit and he had the power to perform miracles and even impart miraculous gifts on other Christians. Despite all the stuff Paul had accomplished in the kingdom of God, he was not content. He was not satisfied. He was not satisfied with his current spiritual status. He did not want to become stagnant in his walk with Jesus Christ, and neither should we. Neither should I, and neither should you. It doesn't matter how long we've been Christians. It doesn't matter if we're elders or deacons. Or gospel preachers or Bible class teachers. It doesn't matter if we had if we had Christian parents and Christian grandparents and great grandparents or if we have taught and converted hundreds and hundreds of people to the Lord. No matter what we have achieved in the kingdom of God, like the Apostle Paul, we should forget what lies behind. We should let go of the past. We should avoid lingering and our past mistakes, and accept God's forgiveness. We should avoid wallowing in our past accomplishments in the kingdom of God, and we need to press forward. We need to keep going forward. We need to keep going with the Lord. We need to strive each and every day to do better for the Lord. Because like the Apostle Paul, God never wants us to be content with where we are spiritually. As long as God blesses us to live on this earth, every single day needs to be an opportunity to grow. It needs to be an opportunity to do better, to improve, to learn more, to do more, to pray more, serve more, work more on our character, become more 
like Jesus Christ. Philippians is going to challenge us. It's going to challenge us to be servants. It's going to challenge us to focus on heavenly citizenship. It's going to challenge us to live each day with joy as Christians. And it's going to challenge us to grow and move forward towards the goal of knowing of knowing Jesus. So that we can gain the prize of heaven. That's how this book is going to challenge me and you over the next month. And now do you see why I'm so excited to read it? Now you see, now do you see why I'm so excited to start reading this wonderful letter to the Philippians? I'm excited to read Philippians because I'm going to learn so much. I'm going to learn a lot about the Apostle Paul. I'm going to learn a lot about the Philippian brethren. I'm going to learn a lot about having joy and more about Jesus and more about how I can please Jesus better in my everyday life. This book is going to help us serve Jesus better. And maybe you sit there this morning and realize that you're not serving Jesus to the best of your ability. Maybe you realize that you have not even taken the first step with Jesus. You're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Jesus. If that describes you this morning, and you can become a follower of Jesus. You can become a follower of Jesus the same way the Philippians became followers of Jesus, by having faith in Jesus and repenting of your sins. And obeying the commandment to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, or if you are a Christian that hasn't been living a very good Christian life, like many of the brethren in Philippians and in Philippi, then you can make things right with the Lord through repentance and prayer, and we'll be more than happy to help you with that this morning. So if there's anyone here that needs some spiritual attention, come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.